Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. People have been asking, under what authority does Francis use to bury the faith? Traditionis Custodis doesn't look legal, strictly speaking. Canon lawyers have been coming forth recently to declare that Francis's ban on the traditional Mass is, at best, canonically dubious, meaning it's of questionable canonical legality. It's an important point that is being made because the question of whether bishops can or will resist is based almost entirely on what the powers of the Pope actually are, since he doesn't have limitless, boundless power to do what he likes. Today I'm going to go over what one canonist said on this and frame it in a few real-life examples of what has happened to real people because of the moves Francis and his hireling Archbishop Roach have made against the deposit of the faith. Father Gerald Murray is a canon lawyer from New York, and he was asked by Dan Diane Montagna about the binding force of Roach's responses at Dubia, what was the official response just before Christmas of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Archbishop Roach to a Dubia that he says he got, but let's be real, probably doesn't exist. Father Murray had some interesting things to say about the document, including its intended purpose. It's supposed to be binding on the bishops of the church, or it is meant to be at any rate. Quote, the response ad dubia, which is addressed to the heads of the bishops' conferences, is not in the form of a law or general decree, but rather seems to fall into the category of an instruction according to Canon 34 of the Code of Canon Law. Yet this title is not given to the document by the Congregation for Divine Worship. Instructions set out the provisions of a law, in this case Traditionus Custodis, and develop the manner in which it is to be put into effect, and are given for the benefit of those whose duty it is to execute the law, and they bind them in executing the law. See Canon 34, subsection 1. The Prefect for the Congregation of Divine Worship, Archbishop Arthur Roach, in his letter presenting the responsa, states that the CDW received, quote, several requests for clarification on the correct application of Traditionis Custodis. He obviously considered that the congregation's answers to these requests would constitute a, quote, decision of major importance, needing papal approbation. He states that Pope Francis was informed of the responsa and that he assented to their publication. I thus conclude that the responsa is an instruction having the force of law, binding the bishops of the church to carry out the provisions of T.C. according to what the responses state, always, of course, in accordance with the general law of the church, which retains its force and guides us in the proper understanding and application of the responsa. The various determinations in the responsa, which is neither a law nor a decree, are decisions of major importance that have been published at the direction of Francis and thus bind all bishops, not simply those who submitted one or more dubia, I also conclude that the assent given by Pope Francis to the publication of the responsa is the legal equivalent of a papal specific approbation of a law or decree, thus giving this instruction the force of law. Thus, the provisions of the responsa are binding upon the bishops and others who have canonical responsibility for seeing that the laws of the church are observed, always keeping in mind the general law of the church regarding the bishop's power to dispense in disciplinary matters, which retains its force unless specifically set aside by the Pope, end quote. That's not surprising. Of course, Francis wanted his slow-rolling ban of the Latin Mass and the Catholic sacraments to be binding with the force of law on the bishops. And I want to deviate from this canon law story for a moment because we had an indication in real life that this is what is meant from Rome. When we talk about canon law, it's easy to get lost in the weeds in some pseudo-academic game of theory or whatever, but these things have real-life 
and eternal life consequences for everyone involved. Case in point, from LifeSite News we get this headline. Montana Bishop cancels all Latin masses effective Ash Wednesday. There's that date again. Reversing previous decision. Bishop Austin Vetter had previously said that traditional Latin masses would continue in his diocese. This decision broke a lot of hearts among the faithful in Montana, for those not keeping track, and I briefly reported on it last week. Since then, Bishop Vetter has let a key detail slip, though. The decision wasn't his to make. We are clearly back in the age of the strong papacy, except with a terrible man pretending to be on the throne of Peter. Here's the key statement, though, from that article. Quote, Bishop Austin Anthony Vetter ordered an end to the old rite in the Diocese of Helena, effective Ash Wednesday, March 2nd. His decision contradicts a statement he made in October, that the traditional Latin Mass could continue. Latin Mass Montana lists two churches in the diocese that offer the old rite. Bishop Vetter did not issue an official statement, instead stated via Var Father Bart Tolleson that he delegated authority to Father Sean Raftus and Father Lebsick to announce his new policy, the lay group wrote on its website. In October 2021, Bishop Vetter met with numerous parishioners at St. Richard in Columbia Falls who attend the 8 a.m. TLM in the wake of Pope Francis's modu proprio Traditionis Custodis. Bishop Vetter stated at the meeting that St. Richard is the TLM parish of the diocese and nothing will change regarding the TLM at St. Richard. The group continued, Bishop Vetter claims now that Rome is forcing his hand and that the clarifications from the dubia responses made him act, but the analysis of canonists and the decisions of other bishops in the U.S. abroad contra contradict Bishop Vetter's position. End quote. And I suspect there's something more going on here in terms of pressure from Rome. But again, there's that date again. Ash Wednesday. The Rome rule, or the Supich rule as I tend to call it, decrees that no traditional mass will be said on Easter during Holy Week from Maundy Thursday onward, or from any major feast day, thus bankrupting Latin Mass parishes and forcing the faithful into attending dubious novus ordo worship services. That's if the faithful decide submitting to sin is something they should do. And I say it's going to bankrupt those parishes because the two biggest co collection days of the year for any parish are Christmas and Easter. And now, according to the rule out of Rome, a rule that Supich has pushed in the United States, no traditional Mass can be said on those days. It can only be the novus ordo. Those rules go into effect on Ash Wednesday everywhere they've been implemented in a clear sign that they are being coordinated in some way. The heretics in Rome hate Easter, from the looks of it, and don't want us offering right worship to God on that holy day. Which brings us back to Father Murray. He is one of the canonists referenced obliquely in that quote that stated that the law is on dubious legislative grounds. Because the dubia was published with papal assent, it has the binding force of law. Though Canon 87 still does apply, which would allow bishops to ignore the papal command on this for pastoral reasons, unless Francis explicitly does something to prevent it. I'm certain Bishop Vetter knows that he can invoke Canon 87, which begs a question. What kind of pressure from Rome was he getting? Father Murray addresses the claim that the spiritual needs of the faithful are why the apostolic mass is being done away with and replaced by the 1970s mass of Paul VI. And this is at best a silly claim for Rome to make. Quote, Caring for the spiritual welfare of the faithful by allowing those who find inspiration and strength in TLM to worship in this extraordinary form of the Roman Rite was precisely the reason why Pope Benedict issued Samorum Pontificum. Such as pastoral care extends to all those who desire to worship in this manner, and Pope Benedict never intended that there would be a cutoff date, and that anyone born after the Novus Ordo came into use was ineligible to attend the TLM. 
What is good in and of itself, including an immemorial form of Catholic worship, should be promoted by the Church. Any implication that Catholics who did not grow up attending the TLM before Vatican II ought not to attend the TLM is pastorally insensitive and ignores the fact that many younger Catholics have been peacefully attending the TLM since Pope John Paul II liberalized its celebration 33 years ago in 1988. Quote, end quote. Again, these things have real-world consequences. When the Apostolic Mass was initially suppressed by modernists in Rome in the 1970s, it persisted in one place in England due to what was called the Agatha Christie indult. Miss Christie, the mystery novelist who wasn't even Catholic, publicly begged Rome to not suppress its own liturgy and its own heritage. In response to a non-Catholic celebrity's pleading, the indult was issued for one place in England to have the Apostolic Mass. I bring that up here because we have a story of an American football player who perfectly represents the pastoral insensitivity that Father Murray is talking about, except, of course, the NFL player is actually a practicing traditional Catholic. Headline from Catholic News Agency. Saddened by restrictions, NFL star speaks out in defense of traditional Latin mass. At some point, it was to be expected that someone in the public eye who wasn't an internet commentator was going to speak out in defense of the apostolic mass, and it has happened here. Here's the key takeaway, though, that proves Father Murray's point. Quote, I think God has definitely given me a platform. He's given me a voice for a lot of people that aren't able to voice their opinions. I put so much into being the best kicker I can possibly be. And for whatever reason, God has allowed me to continue to be successful as a kicker. I'm so thankful for that. My success in football has given me a pedestal, and I feel a responsibility to raise awareness to different issues that I think God wants me to bring to the forefront, and the traditional Latin Mass is definitely one of them. It's an issue that I'm passionate about, and again, I feel I need to bring a voice to a lot of people who are frustrated, who feel like they're outcasted, who, and who don't have the outlet to say anything. I feel like I can be a voice for all those who feel like they're being persecuted for the love of the traditional sacraments. He's then asked this, you use the word persecuted. Is that really how you feel? And here is his response to that. I do. I feel like I'm almost not welcome in the church for wanting to go to the Latin Mass and for wanting to have a traditional confirmation for my children. I feel like I'm a lesser than Catholic and not part of the church because I want to attend the traditional rite. But that's not the reality at all. I want to be obedient to the church. I want to stay within the church. It seems like I'm getting persecuted because I have a love for the traditional rite. And that right is getting taken away, unfortunately, which is very sad. End quote. And he is right to not feel welcome in the church. Traditional Catholics, frankly, aren't in many places welcome in the church. And Francis has made that abundantly clear with his personal hatred of all things rigid. And this brings us to the question of unity in the church. Francis framed Traditionis Custodis in the language of unity and claimed that saying of the apostolic mass in public was something that undermined the unity of the church. That the mere saying of that mass publicly and attendance of it by the faithful drove a wedge into the church. It's silly to suggest such a thing. What really drives a wedge in the church is liturgical abuse in the Novus Ordo, modernism and secular nonsense preached in the pulpit on any given Sunday, and the behavior of prelates. Those drive a wedge in the church. According to Father Murray, using unity as an excuse doesn't fit the bill at all. Quote, The unity of the church does not depend upon a single and identical prayer, but rather on the common profession of the Catholic faith, the due submission to the church's pastors, and the reception of the sacraments which are celebrated in a variety of liturgical rites in both the Eastern Catholic churches and in the Latin rite, the Ambrosian rite, Ordinary rite for former Anglicans, Dominican rite, etc. The continuing, uh, if restricted, 
Papal authorized use of the TLM also demonstrates that the unity in the church in no way depends upon a uniformity of liturgical practice. Seeking to enforce liturgical uniformity in the Latin rite would logically entail suppressing all the other liturgical rites currently in use in the Latin church. Otherwise, it could be reasonably concluded that the goal expressed in Traditionis Custodis and the response of a uniformity of the Lex Arandi of the Latin Rite really means the suppression of only one expression that is different from the Reformed liturgical rites. Hence, it would not be uniformity that is sought, but rather the suppression of the TLM alone. End quote. Here I'm going to interject and say, if you haven't seen my video about how the Anglican Ordinariate may be next, you should go watch that, because there were indications in a recent papal document that they will in fact be next. But why suppress the TLM? It's because the modernists hate tradition. They hate everything that looks like tradition and has that mark of the sacred. They hate everything about it, most especially because the liturgy is the expression and manifestation of the timeless and ancient faith. They have to suppress it, because as I showed you last week in that LaCroix article, the modernists are crafting and have been crafting a new religion to replace Catholicism and to bear its name. And the two cannot coexist side by side in the same buildings, which is why they went after diocesan traditional Latin mass communities first, while they worked out the legalities of suppressing the groups like the FSSP and the rest of them, and they still are working that out, at least at this time. When the two are seen side by side, it becomes apparent that the two forms of the liturgy represent not only different theologies, but ultimately different faiths altogether. A point Father Murray keeps making that is worth noting here is this. Traditionis Custodis was issued in Italian, and in Italian the language is slightly softer, whereas English versions of the document use harsher and more restrictive language for the suppression of the Mass. It's almost as if Francis was focusing on where the traditional Mass thrives most, which is in England, France, Canada, and of course, in the United States. And it thrives because the bishops have been most permissive in those places, but the language differences in the different translations are key. It leads to canonical ambiguity. This goes back to the basic problem with Traditionis Custodis. According to the law of the church, a document is legally binding when issued in Latin, which and Traditionis Custodis wasn't issued in Latin until late fall of 2021, some months after the Italian and English documents were released midsummer. The commands of Traditionis Custodis were issued from a document that may not have had any legal force until the responses ad dubia was published in December with the assent of the Pope. And then, of course, you add to that the fact that, given that the Latin was published later, the Latin is probably a translation from Italy. That's fascinating, isn't it? This entire situation is a canonical house of cards. It's a perfect situation to invoke Canon 87 of the Code of Canon Law, which is why I focused on Bishop Vetter near the start of this. He said Rome was forcing his hand on this issue. The article makes it sound like he had pressure from canon lawyers. But canon lawyers have clearly said that responses ad dubia and traditionis custodis are at best canonically shaky. So what else is going on? Bishop Vetter hasn't said, and in the name of unity, in the name of pastoral duties, he needs to tell us if the Vatican is applying other kinds of pressure to him. Father Murray said something critical here. He states that a Vatican document on applying traditionis custodis goes beyond what's canonically possible in restricting the celebration of traditional sacraments, and bishops are free to dispense with its disciplinary provisions if they judge them to be unfavorable to their flock. So how is the hand of Bishop Vetter getting forced? Something smells extremely unethical here, and I'm asking the question because Catholics are being persecuted by the Church for their obedience and adherence to the same faith as our forebears. So we need an answer to this question. There is no canonical ground for the bishops to be forced to suppress the liturgy. Francis needs to change canon law itself to accomplish that, which he has the power to do, but he hasn't done it yet. But give him time, because I'm sure the code of canon law is on his radar as well. 
What do you think about this? What kind of pressure is Bishop Fezzer facing? He can't possibly be alone either, right? Other bishops who held out must be facing similar pressure. Let me know what you think of this in the comments, please, because this is a critical topic for our time. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.